Hello, check, check. It is recording. Great. Hello, everybody. Uh, it's Jen De La Vega. I am here on the Behind the Scenes podcast of Culinary Word of the Day. And I'm Alicia Book. I'm also here speaking with Jen today. And that's not the official title of the podcast yet. You will see the confirmed title uh, when we get publishing. But for now, we are operating without an official title. Uh, I haven't had any really good ideas yet. You know, it's hard to play around with words about culinary stuff and titling it. I don't know. I'm, not, yeah. I'm obviously not that great at this. So no, it's okay. No, it's just that it's a saturated uh, category, I will say. You know, it is. I had to do some deep dives to make sure that we weren't ripping off anyone else if we wanted to come up with a title. And, you know, a lot of people like to talk about food. Yes, it's so, true. Which is great because it makes the community bigger. We have different perspectives. So that's wonderful, except when there's just, you know, it's not a deep pool for titles, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're really getting into the shallow water there to come up with something. So I'm it'll sure. Come to us. Yeah, it'll hit us like lightning, I think. It, it'll, it and it'll be beautiful. It'll be it will be so beautiful. And you know what? We can always change it. <laughs> not That's married, the, married it's the most to it. part of it is that we can just be like you know one day we're going to be a different people today and yeah still giving you the same great info growth <laughs> love that love that all right folks um so we're back on a uh you know sort of extracted version of culinary word of the day um and last Last time you heard from us, we were we're talking about getting started again, a little bit of behind the scenes of the production process and our reasoning for um, starting the whole thing. But uh, I wanted to introduce sort of the format of the following episodes or iterations of this particular conversation. So Alicia and I have done a ton of research and we can't necessarily fit everything into uh, the confines of a bite-sized podcast. So there, we wanted to, to put the rest of that information somewhere else and, and talk about it because a lot of questions came up as we were working on each of these entries. And so um, we're going to chime in here every three entries or three podcast episodes to dive a little bit deeper into uh, a set of words. So today's set of words are going to be pinch, Maillard reaction, and saute. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I promise Excellent you. Words. Yes. Excellent words. So um, the whole reasoning that I've chosen our, our next category of words is kind of a back to, back to basics. So you'll see that um, the following words after this are, are sort of all belong together, which is which is very exciting. Um, I've actually ordered them in the way that you would encounter them in the kitchen. That's so interesting. I actually did not realize that. So <laughs> as a as a, once again as a layperson in the culinary word, that um, I might need a little bit more info on on how that works. <laughs> well, I think you know. I, by practice, I am a chef. And so I think about order of operations all the time, uh, much like how a music producer needs to order audio tracks or separate tasks into different um, timelines. That's kind of how I have to think about the world and, and the way that I work. And so um, given a set of 20-ish words, 
I, I looked at them and I thought it's not enough to uh, collect some basic culinary terms. It's not enough for me to say these are starter words. If you're getting to if you're getting if you're new to the kitchen and you're learning how to cook, these are words that I, I think you will encounter when you start reading recipes or reading cookbooks. Um, but I thought even further than that, how could we present this in a more helpful way? And that was, I thought, it, it's very subtle. I don't think a lot of people are going to notice it unless they listen to this particular behind the scenes podcast. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, but I thought it would be helpful to think about it in the order that you you encounter things. So pinches are very first one. Um, pinch, Maillard reaction, and saute. So logically, it, these are not necessarily all the words that you're going to encounter the very first time you cook, but in the set, the way mm -hmm. that I'm organizing the set is I know that you would, you would encounter a pinch before you start heating things up. Okay. There are, might be scenarios where um, you don't even need to use heat when you're cooking, mm -hmm. but you would still need to pinch something. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. Right. So if you were doing, um, this is a word that we might tackle later on, but garde manger is a uh, station in a restaurant. So in a restaurant, uh, it is separated into uh, brigade style stations. Like, um, like if an army had, uh, you know, the major, the general, the cadet, you know, that division, mm -hmm. the line cooks are all separated by task. So you have your executive oh. chef, your sous chef. So executive chef is telling everyone what to do. Your sous chef is on the ground walking around, making sure that things are, are operating mm -hmm. in the correct order and manner. And then each line cook has an individualized station or task. And garde manger is a very specialized one and mm -hmm. which deals mostly with cold preparations. That means your salads, your vinaigrettes, cheese boards, charcuterie. So they're not necessarily dealing with heat at all. Um, okay. So that kind of person would still need to measure things or use pinches of salt or pinches of anything uh, to gotcha. proceed with okay. what, what they need to do. Um, that was a very lengthy explanation of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's interesting to know like the behind the scenes of how the kitchen works and like why people are doing certain things mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and the importance of the terminology, because yeah. those are all those are all beginning things in the kitchen. Like a lot of those cold food items come out first. Correct. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So those you'll, pinches are the first line. You'll notice that on restaurant menus, the appetizers and cold prep are usually at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that person is is working first on the line. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, those, those tend to be faster preparations, things that can mm -hmm. be sent out right away or things that are already on the table. Like if you'll notice at weddings, sometimes mm -hmm. the, their bread and butter and a salad is already on the table. Right, right, right. <laughs> and yeah. that, is, that is the person, the garde manger person that is, that is preparing that. Uh, gotcha. anyway, mm -hmm. long tangent to say that, um, there has been a purposeful ordering mm -hmm. of the words and episodes that we are going to be talking about. This is very meta. Uh, Love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So we have three words, saute, Maillard reaction, and uh, no, wait, I have them the wrong order. Pinch, Maillard reaction, and saute are the words that we will be discussing today uh, at, at length and then also in great detail. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. So let's get back to pinch a little bit though. Mm-hmm. Because you said it can be done in hot and cold foods. Yes. Yes. Okay. What's a great example of a cold food that it goes into? I mean, was vinaigrette one of them or? Yeah. A very easy vinaigrette could be a one way to use a pinch of salt or a pinch of pepper. So I can already off the top of my head tell you that uh, equal parts balsamic vinegar and uh, uh, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, a healthy pinch of salt, a healthy pinch of pepper. We use that three finger pinch that we described in the episode. And that's right. that's one very easy vinaigrette. So this is actually a question I had, though. What mm-hmm. if you over pinch? <gasps> I put too much salt in there. And like, what do I do then? Is there an easy answer to that? There are many articles about what okay. to do if you've over salted. Um, some preparations you cannot come back from. It's mm-hmm. always better as a practice. So a lot of chefs repeat this is it's better to undersalt than to oversalt. But okay. in like a soup situation, this will be the the sort of smaller example of of trying to fix an over pinching or over saturation of salt uh, in a soup situation, you can always add more broth or more water. OK, all right. Um, or you can add the opposite flavor element to offset and balance. We're going to probably talk about balance a lot uh, over the coming year. <laughs> But, um, you know, salt or salinity is is one of the uh, five components of of flavor. And you can use the other four elements to sort of balance it out. Or in a soup situation, you can use other liquids to dilute it. So if you're going to go the liquid direction, you can either add more broth or more water. I always err on the side of more flavor. So more broth on my, uh, my recommendation. Oh, um, okay. Um, but other ways that you can tamp down the flavor is to balance the salt with acid. So a squeeze of lemon or a splash of vinegar or pickle juice, depending on the flavor profile of what it is that you're cooking. Sometimes a pinch of sugar may offset the salt. Um, sometimes a bitter flavor. So adding a handful of greens like arugula or kale can soak up that extra salt or provide more of a palate for the flavor to kind of distribute. So um, an interesting way to think about soup is um, surface area. (laughs) So if you've covered a, a certain percentage of the soup, like imagine that it's a piece of paper. Imagine a soup is a piece of paper. (laughs) And you've added a percentage of salt that will, you know, stretch across this piece of paper. The way that you can, you know, augment or fix or balance a soup is to, you know, add more things to the paper, (laughs) like make the paper bigger. So either adding more greens or substance or broth or water. Um, And a trick that I've read on a lot of food blogs is to add a peeled potato to a soup. If it's too salty, add a peeled potato. Peeled potato um, will absorb a lot of that salt and flavor. Um, It's it's a it's a lot about uh, osmosis. And Uh, yeah, okay, no, makes (laughs) sense. If we remember our high school osmosis and hypertonic and hypotonic solutions, the potato will provide another environment for the salt to rush into because there is a bunch of heat around it. Um, Yeah, this is a great question. 
well, you know, this is a this is a bit of a chemistry filled episode anyway. After yeah, all the other stuff going forward. So I'm loving that Pinch got to join their friends with the food chemistry stuff. So I love this. That, that was such a good question. What if you overpinch? <laughs> and it's not just with salt either. The same just- the same strategy uh, applies if you put too much pepper or too much paprika. Think gotcha. about the opposite flavor profile or a way to stretch out the substrate or the soup or the sauce or, you know, the whatever. Well, say, is there an easy way to find out what an opposite flavor, you know, like flavor profile it is? You know, can I Google that or is it? a little trial and error and you kind of have to figure that out. It's a little bit of trial and error, but there are only five that you're working with. So it's sweet, salty, bitter, umami, and is it spice? Spiciness? Yeah, that's five. Um, So you could it's kind of like a a painter's wheel. Like, you know how you have a wheel of colors that that seemingly go together or are opposites. I was going to say that. Yeah, this is like, you know, red and yellow or blue and stuff like that. Well, flavor is a completely um, different beast in that Mm. you can balance with all five. It's not necessarily one is, you know, opposed to the other, really. Cool. Okay, interesting. It's it's very interesting. I think we're going to end up talking about these five different things, components, like a lot. A lot. Yes, we will be. <laughs> I feel like I would be more well versed as these episodes goes like go on. <laughs> I'm so glad. Just ex- put a little more wrinkles in your brain. Little, I'm hoping for it. I'm hoping for in it. Your brain. These um, are good though. These are helpful to my everyday life wrinkles though. I'm so s- it's like solid ones to have. I love that everyday wrinkles. Oh. <laughs> um. Okay. Why do we pinch with the forefinger and thumb? This is an interesting question. I I feel like I, we need to ask like anthropologists about this one. True, true. <laughs> um, I think though, I mean, from what I sort of sort of had seen, um, it seems like this is what goes back in history books the longest. Is just sort of you take it and it's universally done. Mm-hmm. There was like a lot of in almost every culture, people are just like, no, you just take a pinch. You pick up, you have a you know, bowl of spice. You take it and you just throw it in. And I think, like you said, you go under as opposed to over mm-hmm. and, you know, you're not really overcooking with flavor or spice to it. That's my guess anyway, is that it seems like a universal answer to a measurement that seemingly works. I love this. I wonder, folks, if you're listening, if there are other words, smaller international words that are along the lines of pinch. Like so in English, you know, we have dash shake, smidge, scant, they all have very um, subtle differences between them, but they're all small. So mm-hmm. I wonder if uh, there, are, there are other languages that have words for, for small pinched amounts. I'm so curious. I'm so curious about that. I hope we get mm-hmm. a response to that because that's, that'll be super interesting. Um, but let's get a little, um, I don't know, uh, let's get into evolution a little bit here with the thumb and the forefinger. So I was watching this this show on Netflix. Um, I feel it's called uh, Love, Sex, and Robots. It's, it's an animated series. It's, it's I've, I've watched a couple episodes. Pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty, um, pretty violent in some episodes. I was, I was like, I said it's funny, but I'm like, it's also really, really 
tough at some at some points. Depends on the episode. Depends yeah. on the episode. So there is a recurring cartoon in this series about three robots that visit. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen this. <laughs> I like this is the one I actually have seen. Yeah. Um, so there's three robots that visit Earth after the apocalypse. So all of humanity has 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 perished. And um, one joke that that they um, that kind of recurs between the episodes is that uh, it all ended because cats developed opposable thumbs. We <laughs> we bred cats to have thumbs and that was the end of humans, which is so funny because in evolution, um, you know, that kind of is what sets us apart from from, uh, you know, a lot of the other beings on the planet. So like us and, and chimpanzees have opposable thumbs and uh, we're able to grab things and pinch. Uh, I love that in all of evolution and through time and millennia, we are now able to do a healthy three finger pinch into our soups. <laughs> it's like I said, it's universally it's imperative that just you get just enough spice to not over pinch. <laughs> Is this how we've evolved? We've refined our motor skills so far, far, far into the future to to simply enjoy our food a little bit more. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful <laughs> statement. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you think about how delightful that just seems. Like, this is where we come. <laughs> the perfect amount of taste. It's so funny. Um, all right. So you had another uh, question, I believe, about pinching. I do. I'm actually curious. We've talked a lot about salts and like soup now and salads. Is there, but is there a genre of food that like we really use? If you looked at 20 different recipes, they'd all, they all might have like a pinch of something in it. You know, if I'm ooh, ooh, yeah. Um, it depends on the kind of cuisine that you're looking at, and I know that a lot of English-speaking <laughs> languages really over-prioritize salt. Um, okay. and in sort of Japan, China, uh, East Asian countries. Um, salinity doesn't necessarily come from salt. Like salt exists, you have you have various kinds of salt, but you will see um, not necessarily dependency on it. Uh, we have soy sauces, which also you know provide. We have fermentation, so miso also provides some salt. So those aren't necessarily pinched, which is right, interesting. Right, right. Pinch yeah. is exclusively in um, dry spices. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. I mean, you can try to pinch off dough uh, or other viscous items, but you ne won't necessarily see pinches in um, those sorts of recipes that prioritize like a liquid seasoning. Um, but uh, I will say in a lot of Indian cooking, I I've mm -hmm. read through a few Indian cookbooks and uh, you will see lots of pinches of mustard seed, whole mustard seed, uh, mm -hmm. cumin seeds, and asafoetida, which is something that we should discuss later on, um, which is a sort of resin that is used to finish a lot of curries, uh, stir fries, and soups. I actually just added that to my kitchen the last couple of weeks. Really? True story, actually, yes. Um, uh, we can talk about, uh, I found a, actually a one in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Deli. Oh, I using, love. Yes. 
So I've been using her stuff. It's vegan. A lot of her stuff is like, you know, vegan friendly. And I have friends who are vegan. I'm not, but I have friends. And she's, oh, you should try to. So I try to cook when I can, though, to make everyone happy. And a lot of her recipes kind of end with like, oh, if you use this at the end, go for it. I was like, yes, let actually, me try this out. Yes. Chitra Agrawal, the author of Vibrant India and the purveyor of Brooklyn Deli, which is a company based in Brooklyn. They manufacture um, condiments um, from the Indian pantry, uh, like um, achar, chutneys, and simmer sauces. And Chitra is a huge proponent of vegetarian um, Indian cooking. And so I learned a lot about Asapatita from her recipes and her writing. Um, so that's amazing that you, you use her recipes as well. <laughs> you know, assembled upon it, spicy and delicious. If yes. you want it to be, if you want it to be highly recommended, we will put yeah. the link in our uh, show notes so that you can check out her book. And if you click on it, the affiliate money will go to us so that we can make this podcast a little bit better every time, but we've spent a long time on pinching, yeah. Uh, we must move on to Maillard reaction. Love it. Let's get some reactions out of my reaction. I had oh. to do it like once. I had to like make some sort of weird comment about reactionary tales. <laughs> um, this one is pretty heady. The Maillard reaction is something that is used, but people use it every day, but they just do not know the name of it. It's true. I actually, um, I was almost embarrassed that I did not know what this word was when we first started this. This is one of the first words we did yes. uh, or that I worked on. Um, I said it to, you know, my husband and he was like, oh yeah, of course, like the brownie of foods. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, like, I totally know what this is too. Like, <laughs> Loosen I definitely... my, my shirt collar a little yeah, bit. Like, oh, I, yeah. This whole time we've been together and cooking together, I definitely knew this is what we were doing. Um, <laughs> but that's how, but it is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. <laughs> you use it all the time without realizing it. So this is actually sort of fun to sort of delve in and actually kind of put a face to a name, I guess, in like a very basic, but a process that needs to be everywhere. That is an excellent way to put it, putting a face to a name. I love that. Um, and I think the most impactful part of the definition isn't necessarily the culinary part. It's not necessarily the active cooking part. The thing that I was shocked the most about is that the entire flavor industry is based on the Maillard reaction. That's the most mind-blowing thing for me. It's wild. And there's so many different iterations of it. Um, yeah. So. This is, when, when I heard that the career of a food scientist was a real thing, I thought that it was mostly research and development. So like somebody just tinkering with ingredients in a kitchen. That's what I thought a food scientist was. But actually a majority of food science is analyzing those amino acids and compounds that come from the Maillard reaction, because as you, categor as, as you categorize them, they become artificial flavors that we use in all kinds of processed food. So like chips, sodas, like bubble gum. It's everywhere. And it comes uh, even to the point where they've deduced that they could make certain things healthier but if the color is not right, consumers will not want it. So <laughs> cookies and bread need to be certain types of shades of brown, but they could make them a little bit better for you, but they'll taste slightly different, but, but people won't want them. They just don't, they don't want the healthier, less physically, aesthetically pleasing version. Oh, this is frustrating. 
but that's how far we've come with this, which is also very interesting, though. I mean, this yeah. is how long people spend. I mean, this is decades of research about what consumers want and what actually goes into the, you know, the different things that we mm. eat every single day. It's fascinating. Do you remember when Heinz ketchup was trying to change the color of the ketchup? Absolutely. Yeah, yes. it was more Nickelodeon style uh, slime. Like they were trying to harness that childlike, I want to play with my food or paint splatter kind of um, color palette. But it turns out people just love the classic red. <laughs> it's yeah, we were I was a very ketchup friendly household. My mm. sister is puts it on. It was one of those puts it on everything. Um, I was very excited to try colored ketchup. I was one of those <laughs> weird kids. She was like not having it. She was like, absolutely not. This is a red ketchup household. This is where we at. You know, this is it. Um, and I thought that was such, you know, I think we were, I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12, something like that. Um, kind of in their, in their bracket, maybe a little too old, (laughs) like, let's not question that too much. Um, but it was an interesting, I was old enough to see that it was an experiment on their end to see would kids dominate who's going to buy this ketchup? Is it the parents or is it the kids requesting the ketchup at the household? It's the parents. It's parents. (laughs) They They don't want green food. And I think like, and I also think that ketchup was more messy quite honestly. <laughs> maybe it was I, just fun. It's so funny now that we are older and both of us have experience in, in marketing and we now know the word for this kind of campaign, which is A-B testing. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> that these corporations are sending out various options and seeing what sticks, like what spaghetti sticks to the wall in, in yes. some cases, literally. Uh <laughs> Um, but that was, I thought when I was like reading about the male reaction, I was like, this is an interesting, like from what it started out, I think in 1912, mm. I think he, he was, it was, um, what's his name? Uh, Louis Camille Maillard. Um, he was really a biochemist at heart and it really trans like went after world war II became this whole thing. I want to say, yeah, marketing, it became food marketing. It's food science, but it's also food marketing, which is a whole other thing we could tap into at some point about what, <laughs> why we buy the things we buy. Um, mm. uh, we actually will tap into that, I think, in a couple of different episodes later on, which will be really fun, I think. But um, <laughs> we, we have so many starting points in this already, which like, I'm I know like, I can only take so many notes as we're talking right now. But like, oh, my gosh, we need to touch this again. Um, yeah. But who knew that a simple reaction, a chemical reaction would found an entire industry and uh it's pretty shadowy like it is proprietary information a lot of a lot of companies do not share this and it's only up to people who research it or or look it up you know that you'll you'll even hear about it like it's something that's so abstracted from from the public consciousness it is and it's i think that's like a very interesting thing especially doing the research to all of these words too um finding that finding that like you really have to do like a lot of work to sometimes find a very basic definition because it's sometimes hidden under other things on seemingly on purpose. Mm. Um, you know, like if you try to Google things, if you try to use a lot of different buzzwords, a lot of other things pop up before you actually find out what you want out of that word. Wow. Or how, how it's functioning and why, why it exists in another product and stuff like that. Um, that I thought was sort of the interesting thing. That's what I'm saying. I think, you know, talking about, the marketing in the food industry is going to be interesting. Um, 
Yeah. You, can do your, you do have to do your homework. You know, you got to learn your basics and then you can go further into it. And really you can have like a whole other um, world at your fingertips that goes beyond just cooking when you start learning yeah. these culinary words. Like it's a whole, there's cuisine and cooking. And then there's just like the whole way the world interacts with it, which yes. I think is unbelievably fascinating. Um, you know, this is what I love about this project is that you and I, as we do this research, are are learning exponentially more with each episode, and and everybody who's listening is is list is witnessing us, uh, sort of process that, and yeah. it it is uh, surprising uh, to find a lot of these these little details, and we hope that that other folks start to think about and, and talk about. Um, you know, where our food comes from and, and what is it that we're, what exactly are we putting in our bodies? And because it's such a huge part of our day, like it's yeah. so important. <laughs> it is. And it's also, it's a connector of people too. You know, how mm-hmm. often, do you, you know, you talk about food probably with one other person every day too. How is your coffee what you <laughs> for breakfast? You know what I mean? Like even ordering something, you know, who knows yeah. when you go to the grocery store. My goodness. Uh, all right. What else? What other things are bothering you about the Maillard reaction or not bothering you? What's what's the bee in your bonnet, Alicia? It was also my first delve into understanding what dry heat was. Ah, yes. So that was another thing that I've been using it unknowingly and it kept popping up when I was they were like, oh, it's a dry heat. It's dry heat. And I'm like, I don't fully understand what that means. And I think we'll go into that as a later word as well. But is there like a brief definition in the beginning of all of this of what dry heat means? Well, <laughs> so there are two kinds of heat and dry heat. It, it sounds obvious. You know, it sounds really obvious. It is a heat that is used to cook that is dry. Um, and it, it means that there, it doesn't mean that there is a complete absence of moisture because humidity exists. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in an atmosphere that we have like on Earth, there will always be some kind of moisture in the air. But mm-hmm. dry heat is just a general term for, um, you know, not using liquid to heat whatever it is you are doing. So gotcha. okay. a wet heat. Um, mm-hmm. So the wet heat is is complicated because deep frying is technically a dry heat. <laughs> Okay, but it, even though you're submersing it in technically a liquid, is oil a liquid then, I guess, or it's not a liquid? So it, it, it's mostly about the hydrophilic relationship to the food. I know okay. this is, oh boy, this is too much. <laughs> Jen, Jen, really? I, I did say it was going to be a chemistry-filled day. I really, did say it. Jen. Uh, we may need to continue this conversation in a later episode, but True. I will say that dry heat are your sauteing this is a good introduction to the next word we were going to talk about to your sauteing wok frying um sort of 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 cooking um so it's you typically higher heat uh you only relying on the moisture in the in the atmosphere we're not adding any um any liquids we're not boiling we're not blanching um we're not you know whatever uh this is a technicality we will get into with deep frying. Deep frying is technically a dry heat, but that is for a later episode. <laughs> love it. Love it. I'm looking forward to that too. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of questions about deep frying. So that one's going to be a yes. beast in itself, which, I, which is going to be great. It's going to be so good. Um, but that's a great segue into our next word, which is saute. 
uh, which I think is so fun. It's when I think one of the easiest cooking methods for veggies and proteins. And I think people do it once again without realizing that they're doing it. Yes, it is for this reason. This is why it's the third entry in the whole second season that it's it's so commonly encountered that, uh, again, we want to put a face to a name. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Okay, so what came up for you when you when you looked into this word? Um, sauteing. Well, first and foremost, I did not realize the importance of having a hot pan. Ah, yes. So I, I'm guilty of just cutting, let's say, cutting up the veggies and then throwing them in the pan, then turning on the heat. Why is that sort of problematic? Yes. So it's kind of like preheating an oven. Okay. The reason the reason why we preheat an oven is so that it's at a consistent temperature. So this is about reading recipes. This is gotcha. it, it goes a little deeper than you realize. So okay. when we read when we read recipes, there's an understanding um, that we want to keep it consistent. So mm-hmm. we write recipes so that other people can replicate it. Um, and so when you're baking a cake, it says to preheat the oven to 350 degrees. If you had not, the cook time will be wrong. So it's okay. sort of a, a consistency thing. There are some foods that do benefit from uh, starting with a cold pan. But mm-hmm. most of the time when you're referring to a recipe and you, you have a specific cook time of saute this for five minutes, it's assuming mm-hmm. that your pan is already hot. Gotcha. Because they don't always tell you, you know, in baking, they say the first thing you do is preheat the oven. Preheat the they oven. don't tell you in the recipes, like preheat your pan. So that's good to know that there it's a it's, yeah. it's a unwritten rule that you should be preheating the pan yeah. the way you preheat an oven. Like if it says put a pan on medium heat, put the pan mm-hmm. on medium heat and then start your process because the, gotcha. the time will change. If you, uh, you know, uh, it will take a little bit longer if you start from cold to, to do whatever it is you're doing. Interesting. And plus, you won't get that Maillard reaction sear if you, <laughs> you start well, from it, cold. It all comes back to, to the reaction. I love it. I love it. It's true, though. That's true. You won't get the color or the aroma, right? Yeah. The aroma. So you will maximize the aroma when you start with a hot pan. True that you will brown from a cold pan. You will still be Mm -hmm. able to brown with the time and a cold pan. It's just that you also risk steaming whatever it is because it's just been sitting there for a little bit longer. Because if you slowly, uh, you know, if you slowly warm something up in a pan, uh, it's you're going to start breaking down, for example, in a carrot, you're going to start breaking down those cellular walls and water is going to come out. Mm -hmm. And it's going to end up being a little bit more pliable and mushy if uh, it's slowly breaking down the walls, like versus a slow cooker. So the reason why you would want to saute something is if you want to keep it crisp, you want to brown the outside and stop. Gotcha. Okay. You want that crunch in the veg still. Yeah. And so if you are going to slowly heat up a pan from cold, you are breaking down the walls a little bit more and more and more. And uh, you're not going to get as much brown unless you like mm-hmm. leave it in there for a while. But it, it's it's acting more like a slow cooker, which gotcha. is more about uh, breaking things down over time and not necessarily getting a sear. 
Okay. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. That's actually a great way to put it. Um, a different way than I was, I would have thought about it. So that's fantastic. Actually, <laughs> love that. Love that. So that also does that hold hands in with crowding a pan or not crowding a pan? Aha! Like- yes, crowding your pan. I like that you said hold hands with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of recipes, depending on what it is that you were cooking advise against overcrowding the pan. If you see that on the line, that means it they want you to keep the food in a single layer. The reason for that is not all the food is going to make contact with the heated surface. This is why sometimes you need to fry things in batches or saute okay. things in batches. Because if it's not all going to fit in a single layer on the pan, you're going to pile them up. And what happens when you pile them up is the first ones on the bottom are getting that good sear. Mm -hmm. But as they cook, they're releasing steam. And so the second layer is not getting the sear and they're getting steamed. So you're you're getting an uneven cooking process. Uh, They're going to come out differently. Right. So you're technically cooking them, but they're going to taste differently or look differently or smell different, whatever. They're going to be different. Right. Though I will say as a chef who colors outside of the lines a lot, Mm-hmm. Um, there is nothing wrong if you were just a beginner cook. There is mm-hmm. nothing wrong with overcrowding a pan. It's just going to take a little bit longer for you. Okay. <laughs> if you're in a rush, I'd be like, yeah, F it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's OK that not everything is perfectly uniform the first time you're cooking a dish. But the reason you mm-hmm. should understand is is when things are cooked in batches or in single layers, it's to get a consistent result. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I did have a situation where I dumped a bunch of peppers and onions into a pan and covered it. It was kind of like, I just want them to get soft. Yeah. And it was just a quick, you know, I, they were sort of sauteing, but I just needed softness real quick before I did I moved on to other things. So yeah. that's, that's that is way one way. That is a way to, to, to soften your vegetables for sure. Because, you know, as I said, the steam is rising up. Um, it will a either evaporate or you can put on a cover to use that residual steam heat to uh, to steam everything else in there or sweat. I, I feel like that is a word we have. We're, we're going to come to sweating later. Yes. So which will be <laughs> which I actually have a lot. I do have some very interesting questions about because I think it's an interesting. Do, I, I love that it's called that. And I love that we're going to talk about how vegetables do it. It's gonna be yes. But I'm actually curious, though, is there anything that should not be sauteed? Like, is there is there any vegetable? Like, we can also talk about how vegetable, you know, sauteing is great for most diets because you can do your vegetarian, your vegan. pretty much anything. Yeah, the um, um, I think the enemy of of all of my frying pans, except for maybe my my nonsticks uh, is a lot of sugar content. So um, you'll see that some some sauces, some East Asian sauces, so like teriyaki, yakitori, tare sauce, or like um, like an orange chicken or glazes, those have mm-hmm. lot, lots of sugar in them and they are cooked fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sauteing like straight up sugar mm-hmm. is typically not advised unless you are working specifically with sugar work or caramels. Okay. And that is typically with nonstick material. So please, please do not throw straight up sugar into your wok. 
<laughs> See, that's a good advisory. That's a good, this is what this is for. We need these advisories. Mm-hmm. We we're not necessarily going to get that in the definition, but you need the behind the scenes. Yeah, stuff. most most things will unstick themselves when you're sauteing. Um, if you start to notice that that things are are caking up on your pan um, during mm-hmm. a saute, it's either that uh, the stuff is too soft and shouldn't really be sauteed, or mm-hmm. um, they will unstick eventually. A lot of the the solution for sauteing things that are stuck is to let it sit, <laughs> and it it may unstick itself. But if it's like burning. <laughs> then uh the first thing you do is take the 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 pan off of the heat gotcha okay mm-hmm. that's that's a good distinction like because there is a fine line between letting it stick itself off and then it's just gonna start burning onto the pan yeah is is there and maybe this is gonna sound silly but is there a clear way to know what's happening like if something's sort of sticking like do you let it sit there for like 30 seconds do you wait until you see a little bit of smoke if you start smoke? to smell it and it's bad, then immediately yes. remove it from the heat. Gotcha. But if you don't smell anything and it's just pleasantly sizzling, it's not smoking, then it may still unstick itself. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> well, I'm coming from this, like I said, as a lay person. So there are some things like I, I love I'm, that you're asking these questions. Well, I've been cooking for a long time, but a lot of it's. I like to fly by the seat of my own pants sometimes. Or you don't just, know the why. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the why. I don't know the why. And I'm a curious person. And this is really where I'm getting my answers. Yeah, so. I'm so glad. I'm so yeah, glad. You know. My goodness. That was a great question. Folks, if you have any input <laughs> on what should not be sauteed, uh, do not say gross things like mm. babies or your pets. You know, uh, we're... we're yeah. You know, <laughs> but if there's anything that you found along your travels that you're like, do not try and saute this, it yeah. will not work. Yeah. I would love to know about that. Yeah, Absolutely. we'd love to hear. We'd love to hear it. Yes. Uh, all right. What else? What else is, is on your mind about sauteing? This kind of goes hand in hand, I think, with the are we going to start a fire today kind of question is, <laughs> um, are there are there certain oils or butters or fats that you ah. might use to saute that you probably should stay away from? Interesting. Good question. Okay. So there are some distinctions that we need to make between types of oils. So there are Mm -hmm. neutral oils and there are finishing oils. So um, there are oils that are made for high heat cooking. Those are your vegetable oils, canolas, safflowers. Olive oil can sometimes, depending on the grade, be a saute oil. And so this is where we get into finishing oils. So there are, you know, cooking olive oils and then nicer finishing olive oils. So the more expensive stuff, the extra extra virgin, uh, single origin finishing olive oils are not for cooking. Those are for dipping. Those are for dipping. Those Those are for dipping. Those are for your vinaigrettes. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not to say you cannot cook with olive oil. There are just certain grades that you would cook with and some that you don't. So finishing olive oil is not to be sauteed with. And that also goes for flavored oils or nut oils. So those will evaporate quickly. So like walnut oil, pistachio oil, um, those kinds of flavor, pumpkin oil, those kinds of things are for finishing flavors only. Because when you cook it, all of those flavor compounds are going to burn off and you won't have the flavors anyway. Um, and then when it comes to butter, you mm-hmm. can 
technically you can saute with butter if you're going to do it very quickly. Okay. Um, but if you're going to do a longer fry, I would say more than a couple minutes, then uh, ghee is your better option because the, a lot of people will tell you not to saute with butter because it has the milk solids. Mm-hmm. And so ghee in uh, Indian cooking is clarified butter. You can also buy clarified butter. You can also do it yourself in 15 minutes. It's a it's slowly melting it and then uh, separating out those milk solids. Um, and then you're left with clarified butter or ghee, which can act like a vegetable oil in high heat situations. And you'll see that a lot in Indian cooking. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We might be getting into that a little bit later, too, because I feel like that's, <laughs> that's a whole other world of butters that we may need to touch upon at some point. And I'm sure folks will have questions about coconut oils, but I honestly cannot tell you because I'm allergic to coconut. So I've never cooked with it. So, uh, yeah. So, folks, if you have insight about cooking high heat with coconut oil, coconut milks, coconut fats, uh, please Shout out on Twitter or uh, send us a note and we will happily, happily learn from you about it. Totally. I could clearly use it. So I would love the information on coconut oil. That would be fantastic. So. <laughs> well, uh, we talked for way longer than we thought we would. That we did. That we did. But I love everything that we dove into. These are all excellent questions, Alicia. I have a, I'm curious. I'm curious by nature. So, um, and you're, yeah, I'm happy that you're happy to talk to me. So mm-hmm. when you put those things together, we're, <laughs> it's going to get, you know, it's going to get a little, you know, it's going to get a little informative. Yeah. Just a little informative. Just a little, little. A tiny bit, tiny bit. Tiny, informative. tiny little bit, tiny little bit. All right, folks. Um, informative. We're going to get back to work researching more words and uh, recording more episodes for you. But if you'd like to sound off, please reply to us on Twitter at CulinaryWOTD. We'd love to hear your feedback or any other anecdotes, facts, or feedback about any of the things we discussed today. Uh, I, I am I am but a, a uh, self-taught chef. So if you have any other academic backings um, for any of the things we talked about, we would love to hear it. We would love to correct anything also if you think that we uh you know had a misstep but we would happily keep learning and augmenting these words and uh growing your brain wrinkles with you so yes thanks a lot for sticking with us and we will be back with three more episodes for you bye bye